So Lord, we pray that you would help us to be amazed. We also pray that you would help our lives to be changed by what you have to say. So help us to understand your words in Scripture. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, someone emailed me a story not too long ago about a pastor of a small church who uh, came in one Sunday very distracted because he just discovered that the roof needed thousands of dollars worth of repair, and he was trying to figure out how he was going to ask this small congregation for so much money. So when he got there, he was annoyed to discover that there was a substitute organist that day. It was like everything was going wrong that day. So he gave the organist a copy of the service and said, you know, you're just going to have to figure out what to play after I make the finance announcement. So during the service, he told the congregation, we need $10,000 to fix the roof. So if any of you can give to this, would you please stand up now? At which point the organist started to play the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> and that's how the substitute organist became the permanent organist. Okay, I'm sure that story didn't happen, but it illustrates a point that politics and religion can sometimes make a strange combination. We started a sermon series last week called None of the Above about how whenever Jesus was faced with two really lousy choices, he always found a third way that was just refreshingly different and how he empowers us to be none of the above third way kinds of people. And the story we read today, in it, Jesus is asked a hot button political question of his day, one of the hottest political topics of his day. Should we pay taxes to the Romans or not? Now on the left were folks who said that Rome was a corrupt, oppressive colonial power and that the Jews should rebel. On the right were people called the Herodians, who, who advocated cooperating with Rome. And this question is meant to trap Jesus. Because if he says, don't pay taxes, well, then he could be arrested as an insurrectionist. But if he says, yeah, go ahead and pay taxes, well, then they're going to view him as a collaborator with Rome. So Jesus answers, none of the above. And he comes up with a third alternative. It's not political, but it's not apolitical either. It's not left. It's not right. It's just a different paradigm altogether. He refuses to be dragged into the political arguments of his day. And ever since, his followers have been doing the exact same thing. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Not so much, huh? As you know, in our country, our faith has become highly politicized. And not just from the religious right, but also there's a thing called the, religious, the Christian left. And they are increasingly vocal. And my read of this congregation is we are pretty much split right down the middle, Democrats and Republicans, this side and this side, just by the looks of you. <laughs> now, we all know that Jesus is neither Democrat nor Republican. We all do know that, right? Nod. Yeah, okay. He, he, he is neither. At this point, my wife says I should freak you all out and say that he's a libertarian. <laughs> he is not left. He is not right. But deep in our hearts, I think, you know what we all kind of say to ourselves? Yeah, I know, but he's just a little closer to my side than the other. But in the passage we read, Jesus points to a third alternative that goes beyond politics, that is above politics. He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to, God's, to God what is God's. Jesus is basically saying the government has its place and we owe it its due, but the only thing worthy of our total allegiance is God, and the only hope for this world is not government, any government, Roman or otherwise. The hope for this world is not government. The hope for this world is Jesus' rescue plan that we are invited to be a part of. 
It's a similar thing to what he says to Pontius Pilate. When Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Political question. Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. Now, sometimes people think that what Jesus means there is he's saying, my kingdom is not here, it's up in heaven. But that's not what he says. He doesn't say my kingdom is not in this world. He says my kingdom is not from or of this world. In other words, my kingdom, Jesus is saying, comes from heaven, but it's meant to be lived out here on earth. Now, that phrase, kingdom of God, it can be kind of hard to understand, but the simplest definition of kingdom of God is it's anywhere and any place that things are happening according to God's will, the way God would want them to be. And there are three words that begin with the letter R that kind of characterize the kingdom. And I've given them to you before, but I want to review. The first is the kingdom of God is about reconciliation between us and God and each other. It's about restoration of us and this world to what God intended it to be, all of which brings rejoicing. The kingdom of God is when folks are helped out of poverty. It's when lonely people find community. It's when broken relationships are, are restored and healed. And it's about folks come and know Jesus who love them enough to die for them. And Jesus talks more about the kingdom of God than he talks about money, sex, and certainly more than he talks about politics. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this country. I want the best for it. And I believe that politics does matter. I believe it's important. In fact, I come from an intensely political family. When I was Growing up, my father and his whole family, the whole side of his family were liberal, liberal Democrats, and my mom and her side of the family were all conservative Republicans. So in my family, arguing politics is what we do for recreation. Like other families, ski together, play board games together. We fight about politics. That's just what gives us joy. (laughs) One time, and this is going to date me, but it was when I was exceedingly young, barely born really, Um, my Republican grandmother put a vote for Nixon bumper sticker on my Democrat father's car. He drove it for days before he discovered it, and and I thought he was going to have a heart attack when he did. So to get her back, the next time we were visiting, my, my mom was pregnant, and as we were getting in the car to leave, someone from my mom's very Republican family asked, if the baby is a girl, what are you going to name her? And without missing a beat, my dad said, Jacqueline Eleanor, and just kind of drove away with their mouths hanging open in horror at the thought. For those of you under 40, Jacqueline Kennedy, Eleanor Roosevelt, Democrats. Okay, there you go. Okay, in my family, we call that fun. I love politics, and I have very strong political opinions, which I'm not going to tell you. But I have loved listening to you all try to guess over the years. It is not my job to tell you how to vote. It's my job to tell you about Jesus and let you figure it out from there. And absolutely, the Bible does speak to the political issues of our day. Absolutely, it speaks to the political issues of our day. And we need to vote our conscience as best we can, but do so realizing that no political ideology completely, perfectly represents Scripture. In some places, Scripture advocates for things that we would call liberal. And some of us got to deal with that. And in others, it advocates for things that we would call conservative. And some others of us got to deal with that. Some places it's liberal, some places it's conservative. Kind of the, the political platform of Scripture is something to offend everyone. And it should challenge all of our politics, regardless of the side we're on. But the main thing Scripture points to, the main thing it says is that the hope for the world is not government. The hope for the world is not politics. Important, yes, but that is not the hope for the world. The hope for the world is Jesus' rescue plan, and his rescue plan for the world does not depend on politics or government. It's deeper than that. It's all about what do we think is really going to change? 
the world? What are we depending on? A woman recently told me that this summer she and her husband had their four-year-old daughter here in this service at church. And after they sat down, the little girl got really upset and she looked around and she goes, God's not here. Where's God? And the dad said, well, God's everywhere. Of course God's here. And then a few minutes later, the girl got upset again. He said, Jesus isn't here either. Where's Jesus? And, and the dad said, Jesus is everywhere. He's here too. And, and then a few minutes later, the little girl got really excited, held up the bulletin and said, look, there's God. She was pointing to a picture of me. It was a summer that I wasn't, it was a day I wasn't here, and, and she thought that God wasn't here. And by Jesus, she meant our modern worship director, Chris Martinson, who, if you kind of look, I mean, like you can kind of see the confusion, right? I mean, it's either Jesus or Barry Gibb, one of the two, right? Staying alive, staying alive, right? And you can take that down now. I, I, I don't... And in that story, I have no clue who the Holy Spirit is. I have no... Anyway, what's the point of that story? Here's the point. I hope I am helpful to you as your pastor, but I am not God. The government can be helpful, but it's not God. And it is not the ultimate solution to our problem because the ultimate problem is the human heart and government can't change the human heart. Only Jesus can. Let me give you an example. One of the things this state wants to do is get out of the foster care business. It's a budget-saving deal, but they're also discovering it's an effectiveness issue. Um, one of the things they've discovered, you know, if, 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 the, the, when there's an at-risk youth, uh, the only thing the state can do is kind of make some programs and maybe pay some people to be foster parents, which is helpful. But if the church gets involved, they're discovering that a lot of times that makes reconciliation easier between the at-risk youth and the families, and there's more healing if the church gets involved. Why? Well, for one thing, it's more personal. For another thing, people are bringing the love of Jesus. For a third thing, there's a theology of reconciliation underneath it all to begin to work from. That's Jesus' rescue plan. Jesus puts it this way in what's called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Go and make disciples of all nations. Actually, that Greek verb is a participle. As you are going to your home, to your, the street you live on, to the store, to the neighborhood, go and make disciples, baptize people, teach them who I am and teach them to follow my ways. He didn't say, come ye all into church and learn about being a disciple. The word, the verb was go. Go and make disciples and heal my world by showing the love of Jesus in really practical, tangible ways that help people. Now at this point, some folks might object, well, if that's plan A, what's plan B? Because plan A doesn't work. If we're plan A, what's plan B? Well, there is no plan B. And second, I actually think plan A does work if people actually do it. When I was at Stanford, one of the arguments I always heard was, well, if Christianity is so great, what about the Crusades? I mean, always the Crusades, right? The Crusades, I was like, okay, it was a thousand years ago. Update yourself, right? But secondly, Christians didn't do the Crusades. Okay, that was done by the institutional church in cooperation with European kings who were seeking military glory to bolster their political standing back home. It was political. And that's what happens when the church decides that government and politics is the answer instead of Jesus. At the time, true Christ followers protested the Crusades. People like St. Francis, who went on a crusade not to fight, but to, but, to, but to help the wounded, including Muslim wounded, and to show them and tell them about Jesus. 
St. Francis spent three days with the sultan, after which the bishop, who was commanding the army... Okay, just pause on that sentence for a moment. Right? The bishop, who was commanding the army, any red flags there? Hauled him back. St. Francis said, if you had given me one more day, the sultan would have converted. While the institutional church, in bed with government, launched the crusades, there were thousands, literally thousands, of true Christ followers like St. Like Francis, caring for the sick, the poor, making a difference in Jesus' name. That is Jesus' rescue plan. And that's what the mission fair is that we're doing today. We do this every year. Every booth out there in the lobby represents one way that we as a church are participating with Jesus in the make and new of all things, and it's working. Let me just tell you a couple of stories from one of the organizations that we partner with. As you know, Jubilee Reach Center, which this church started, has been invited to run all the sports programs in Bellevue Middle Schools. And it's going to be using a biblical coaching model, a model called biblical coaching, staffed with Christian coaches. We can't talk about Jesus on campus, but we can show him. And there was a pilot program last year at Highland Middle School. And it's already made a huge difference in the lives of a lot of kids, some of whom were already involved in gangs, drugs, all kinds of stuff. There was one boy, I'll call him Jake, and Jake was doing very badly in school, getting into all kinds of trouble, and his mom wanted to transfer him to a different school. But Jake had joined the soccer team with a Christian coach using this biblical coaching model, and so his attitude was starting to change. So he said to his mom, Mom, it's not the school's fault, it's mine. I haven't tried hard enough, it's my fault. So here's a 12-year-old kid owning responsibility better than a lot of adults can these days. And he said, you know, but, you know what, Mom, but now I'm in Club Jubilee, and I'm on the soccer team, and I want to stay, and I'm going to try harder. And then, then he said, and meanwhile, Highland Covenant Church, which is right across the street from this school, Highland Covenant Church surrounded this family, Jake and his family, with love and support. His mom was living with her boyfriend. They weren't married. The boyfriend had kids from another relationship, so it was kind of a, a blended family deal, and they were unemployed. So people from this church um, helped kind of help help them with heating and with food. And, but more than that, people from Highland Covenant Church gave them emotional support. And, and not just the financial support, but emotional support. They listened to their pain. They prayed with them. They showed them the love of Jesus. They told them about Jesus. And now this whole family is going to that church. The mom and the boyfriend got married in that church. They're getting the tools they need to have a good marriage. Jake is improving in school. And this family is coming together as a family. Because they experience Jesus' love through his people. That's what Jesus can do. Government can't do that. It's not supposed to. He gave the job to us. And not just to change the world. Yeah, that too. But, 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 but to change us. To give us joy. Because it is a joy. It brings joy to, bring, to be part of this rescue mission. It is hard. It's not always easy. There are discouraging times. But bigger, richer, deeper, better. There's a woman who'd been a member of Highland Covenant Church since 1975, and she, she told people at the Jubilee Reach Center, you know, I looked at that school for years wondering if we we're going to do anything to help. So now she helps. She brings food to the kids. She mentors some of the kids. She's always sending her picture, pictures of what she calls her kids to all of her friends. She said, my husband is always asking me why I suddenly have so much pep in my step. She said, it's because of my kids. Let me tell you one last story. There's a man who's serving as a coach, 
in the Jubilee Reach uh, sports program. And part of the role of coach is, is to be a stand-in dad for kids who, like a lot of kids in our culture, either don't have a dad around or don't have a dad who's modeling really a, 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 a good lifestyle for them. So one day, this coach shook hands with one of the boys on the team. But the, the boy kind of gave kind of, a, a, kind of a weak handshake. So the coach said, hey, that is not the way a man shakes hands. Here, grab my hand hard like you mean it. So the boy did. But then he was, he was looking down at the ground, which I think is a metaphor, right? Here's a kid who, who doesn't have a sense of worth, who doesn't have a, a sense of confidence in spite of all the bravado that might be on the outside. So the coach said, now, look me in the eye and say your name strong and clear and grab my hand hard. So the boy did that, and the coach said, now that's the way a man shakes hands. Well, then the boy noticed this coach's hands, which are like big as baseball mitts. Like these, he had these huge hands. He goes, you have huge hands. That's amazing. So he ran off and got a bunch of his buddies and said, come see this man. He taught me how to shake hands. So within a few minutes, the coach had a line of 12-year-old boys waiting to be shown how to shake hands. But more than that, waiting to be given dignity and shown that they matter and taught how to be men from someone who, who, who they knew cared about them. Let me ask you, you think that was a good day for that coach? I think he had a good day. I'm thinking so. That's what Jesus can do, and no one else can do it except Jesus working through his, his people. You know, you can't exactly start a handshaking program out of the government, right? <laughs> but when Jesus is at work through us, even something as simple as a handshake can change a life. So, you got a green light. And Jesus says, for the world's sake, but also for your own joy, go. And as you go to work, to the street you live on, to the store, uh, be part of my rescue mission. As you leave today, really encourage you to spend some time in the mission fair. Listen to the stories that are out there. If you're already involved in some way, great. Just go enjoy and celebrate. If you're not involved in some way, go praying to Jesus, Lord, is there a place you want me to be involved? And there are folks out there that can help you find a place to be involved that will fit however much time you have to give. You could still sign up to be a coach. We don't need head coaches, but we do need assistants. You can assist for as little as one afternoon a week for three months. That's it, one afternoon a week. But that's just one opportunity. There's tons more out there. There's a legal clinic, medical van, union gospel mission, which does all kinds of stuff, young life, youth for Christ, which helps so many kids in our area. Lots and lots and lots of ways to be involved. Let me close with this. Several years ago, I was on an airplane, and in spite of having heard multiple sermons on people who convert the person sitting next to them on an airplane, I was just reading my book, Minding My Business. Well, the woman next to me was also reading, and eventually I asked her, what's your book about? And she got super excited. She said, oh, oh, it's about starting a revolution and helping the poor and, and, and stopping wars and getting a government that's going to do all of that. And she was really excited by this political book. In fact, the word militant comes to mind. In fact, I bet I could tell you her zip code in Seattle. Some great coffee shops in that neighborhood. So then she asked me, what are you reading? Well, after listening to her talk about starting a revolution and serving the poor and stopping wars and all of that, I, I showed her my book, which was called The Cross of Christ, and I said, I'm reading about the same thing. Wasn't that a great line? <laughs> what a killer evangelism line that is, man. That's why the next thing that happened is she got tears in her eyes and she said, I've been longing for just such a thing. Tell me more. And I led her in the sinner's prayer and she became a Christian and now she's a missionary in Botswana has brought thousands to Christ and saved a puppy from a fire once. You buying that? No, not so much. As soon as she saw that book, she went, oh, just like that, really curtly and said, enjoy the book. And that was it. 
She didn't even say goodbye to me as she got off the plane. We were done, man. But that's okay. I'm hoping I planted a seed. I'm hoping I made her curious. I hope later she thought, wait a minute, that was a middle-aged Belvutian man talking about how Jesus is a revolutionary. How does that work? Because I think Jesus is revolutionary. It's just that his revolution is not going to come through politics or power or government. That's what's so revolutionary about it. No one ever thought of that before. That's why it's such a none-of-the-above third way. Because you see, all politics is ultimately about is who has the power and who calls the shots. Jesus' revolution says it ain't about power. Because power isn't the most powerful thing out there. God's love is. You know, the early Christians transformed the Roman Empire, but they didn't do it by marching on Rome or taking over the Roman Senate. They did it. They had no power at all. They transformed the Roman world because they put Jews and Gentiles together in the same community, and the world had never seen racial reconciliation before, and they wanted to know the Jesus that made it possible. They sacrificially gave of their money to help the poor, and the world had never seen that kind of compassion, and they wanted to know the Jesus that motivated it all. They treated women with equality in a culture where women were regarded as less valuable than a cow. And the world had never seen that. And they wanted to know the Jesus that was behind the whole thing. And gradually, fewer and fewer people went to the Colosseum to see the gladiators. And crucifying people didn't seem exciting anymore. It just seemed cruel. And hospitals were formed. And schools. And relief for the poor. And marriages improved because husbands didn't have a bunch of mistresses anymore. And children were treated as valuable, not as just property. And that kept going for 300 years until the Emperor Constantine made Christian Christianity, the official religion of Rome, and then having all of that political power zapped all of the life out of the new movement because they began to rely on politics to change the world rather than Jesus. You see, Christianity always thrives best when it is not in power. Maybe that's because we serve a crucified God. Or maybe it's because in the upside-down, none-of-the-above, third-way logic of the kingdom, we are actually strongest when we are weak and relying only on Jesus. Every empire eventually falls. Roman Empire, gone. Kingdoms of the Middle Ages, gone. Just like one day the Democratic and Republican parties, and I hope it's a long, long time from now, but yes, eventually even the United States will be gone because the powers that be will one day be the powers that have been. But Jesus and his none-of-the-above third-way kingdom will go on and on and on, and he will reign forever and ever and ever, not just for four years, not just for an election cycle, not just for a time, but he will reign forever and ever and ever, and even the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against his kingdom. Because when Jesus is on the move, and Jesus is always on the move, he is about the business of making all things new. And that's the movement I want to be a part of. Because it is just so, none of the above, in really cool ways. No one would have thought of it but Jesus. So, Lord, thank you so much that you call us to be part of your rescue mission. You so could have done it without us, and it would have been easier and probably more efficient. But thank you that you invite us into that. Lord, we ask that those of us who are involved already in so many ways, give us joy as we do that even when it's hard. And Lord, if we're wondering where you're calling us, we ask that you would speak, speak to us. Invite us in in a way that you want to use us, our gifts, our skills, our talents. And Lord, we will give you all of the glory. We want to see your world changed by your means because you are the Prince of Peace. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.